Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. I am overjoyed to be with you all and to be able to be worshiping with you today. We are continuing in this adventure of reading through the the Bible together. We started with Matthew. We're still in Matthew. And today, before I read the passages that we're going to be looking at today, I want to talk a little bit about Matthew's gospel and how important teaching is in Matthew's gospel. Of all the gospels that we have, it focuses and centers more on Jesus's teaching than any of the other gospels. And in fact, scholars will break Matthew down into five different teaching discourses. The first one is the ethical discourse, and that's the Sermon on the Mount. Then the missionary discourse, the parable discourse, the ecclesial discourse, which is what Jesus is saying about the church and the gathered community, and the eschatological discourse. So that's the end of times um, teachings. And so this is central to how Matthew understands Jesus as well as Jesus is the great teacher, the ultimate rabbi. And it is very important in Matthew to emphasize that we live the way Jesus instructs us to live. We also look at how Jesus teaches. Jesus teaches in parables, in proverbs, and in object lessons. And object lessons are um, when he takes something that's readily available around him that he can easily see, like soil, and teaches about that. Or he takes a common experience that that would have applied to everyone around him, like the the experience of sheep um, being threatened by wolves. Um, And he does this so that people can easily remember very difficult concepts. Um, And that's why he teaches in this way. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read three of these teachings that Jesus has, and then I'm going to string them together. You know, as you're reading through the Gospels, you'll notice that, that it's just a teaching after teaching after teaching. They're sort of strung together like that. Sometimes it makes more sense than other times when they're together, but I'm going to string them all together and help them use illustrations that also make sense to us. So these will be slightly adapted stories um, to apply, to teach the same lesson, but to apply in ways that are meaningful for us. So to get in that sense, we're going to start with Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Stop collecting treasures for your own benefit on earth, where moth and rust eat them, and where thieves break in and steal them. Instead, collect treasures for yourselves in heaven, where moth and rust don't eat them, and where thieves don't break in and steal them. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then from chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Everybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wide wise builder who built a house on bedrock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against that house. It didn't fall because it was firmly set on bedrock. But everybody who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice will be like a fool who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against that house. It fell and was completely destroyed. And then from chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all of you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. 
Put on my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble. You will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy to bear and my burden is light. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes that we might see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So a few years ago, I was reading an article that talked about the fact that sand is the second most endangered renewable resource on the earth. Second only to water. And I have to admit, when I, when I read that article at first, I did not believe it. Because I don't know about y'all, but everywhere I go, there seems to be sand and dirt and dust, right? does not seem like we are running out of sand. It seems rather abundant. But as I read further in this article, I realized how much we use sand for. For instance, did you know that for Olympic volleyball, there is a very particular type of sand that they have to use for beach volleyball? And the sand grains have to be a particular size and have to be made out of a particular material. And so when we have the Olympics, we spend all kinds of money shipping sand to wherever the Olympics is held so that everybody plays on the same kind of sand every time, no matter where they go. Same thing with horse races. Horses have to run on particular type of sand. So if you have a horse horse uh, race track, you have to import and use different types of sand that will make it safe and better for the horses to run on. In Dubai, when Dubai built all those islands, you would have thought they would have used the sand right behind them. They're in the desert. Right? There's an abundance of sand there, but no, that sand was not acceptable because it erodes at a faster rate than, say, sand that you could get in China. So they mined sand in China and imported sand from China to Dubai to build islands so the islands would stand longer. I know, it's getting kind of crazy around here, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And that's... And that's just some kind of extraordinary or specific moments. We also use sand, of course, in asphalt right out here. And in concrete, which you are sitting on. And to smooth wood, which you are also sitting on. And to make glass, which we can see beautifully displayed right here. Look at that, y'all. We built our house on sand. And what I think about when I think about the the fact that sand is all around us in this place or has been used to build this place, it's a good reminder that we so often have a short-sighted vision. We don't fully see the ramifications of the decisions that we make and what the cost will be. It's human. We, we have limits to what we can know and limits to our knowledge. But also, I think it, it and this parable point us to this idea that sometimes we put our security in material things. Material things that will slip out from under us. Material things that are not eternal. Material things that have limits. Rather than putting our security in our faith in God. And, you know, the truth of the matter is our culture encourages us to seek that kind of security, to seek 
security in the material. And some of that security is warranted. Some of those material things are basic needs like food and shelter and clothing. But what happens when we over-invest in the material, when, when that becomes our security? So a few years ago when the show Hoarders first came out, um, we were living in Texas, and I remember that that show would come on, and I would, you know, be casually walking through the house, and I'd, I'd see it on, and I'd stop, and I'd stand in front of the TV, and then I would start, sort of sink down, and eventually I would be laying flat on my floor, staring in horror at this show Hoarders, and all the people that were basically buried by their stuff were overwhelmed by their stuff and were overly attached to their stuff. And I would lay there in shock and horror for about four or five hours, watching episode after episode after episode. I know it was really, it was was such a dramatic moment for me. Um, But then I would get up and immediately start cleaning my 3,500 square foot house. And I would want to get rid of some of this stuff. I would be haunted by it, and I was particularly haunted because I know... Remember last week I talked about family patterns and how they reappear on you? I got I got hoarders in my family. My grandmother, when she passed away in the mid-1990s, died with five freezers full of food, some of which was tagged from 1983. It was unrecognizable at that point. I don't know what you were going to eat. It was It was dehydrated and, you know preserved beyond beyond use but then my aunt my grandmother's daughter and and her husband have that same pattern in their life they find their security in their stuff it started as a way honestly to hold on to their loved ones they were inheriting the things they inherited so much of what my grandmother had and what my uh, what my uncle's parents had had and they They wanted to hold on to the stuff to remember the the people, but then that that stuff became more stuff, and that stuff became more stuff, and then they they outgrew their condo, so they had to buy the condo next to them to put more stuff in it, and then that wouldn't hold, and then, so they, now, last count, I heard they have nine storage units, nine storage units, which means all of their money goes into the maintenance of being able to store their stuff. And we can't even visit them because you can't get in their house. And the stuff has become a barrier to the, to the people that they loved. The very place they meant to put their treasure is now blocked up by these material treasures. Stuff can be a trap. It can block you from that other basic need, which is love. When you use the stuff to put between you and other people, you get blocked from that basic need. And let's remember that love gives us purpose. You know, psychologists say that that the thing that we need is in order to combat anxiety and depression, which are the, the two biggest mental health struggles, in order to combat those, we need purpose and community. It's funny how that matches with we need to love God and love neighbor. It was always present. You might, you might say we need purpose and community, so we need to have people to love 
And we need to do something we love. But how do we find what we love? How do we find who we are created to be? Well, there's all kinds of tests out there. Some of you have probably taken them. I've taken the Myers-Briggs, the DISC, the Strength Finders, the Enneagram. All of those have given me some sense of who I am. But I will tell you the three most helpful tests that I've taken. One is gospel discipleship. And it's not just because I wrote the test. I'm not just trying to say that it's helpful for that reason. But it really did help me understand how better to be in relationship with people that I serve alongside and and people that I serve. Um, It helped me know how to be a better leader in the Christian community, and I'm grateful for that. But to even know that I was meant to be a leader in the Christian community, I used a spiritual gifts test and, y'all, an eighth grade occupational assessment. Anybody here had to take career orientation in junior high? Yeah, it was like a state requirement. I had to take that. And, And in eighth grade, it said... That you should be a preacher and a teacher, which I paid no attention to because I didn't even go to church. I was like, well, this test is crazy. Well, maybe it wasn't. <laughs> Here I am. But both those, those sort of tests gave me an insight into who I was and who I was called to be and, and God's call on my life. But I did need the encouragement of the community. I didn't need the community to say, yes, we see those gifts in you. Not just the tests, but for people who loved me to say, yes, you have that giftedness. And my friends, that's what I hope for you. That's what I hope for you as well. That that this place can be a place where you find purpose and community. It's part of the reason that I want to sit down with everybody and have the four questions conversation is to listen to your passions, to listen to the person that you are, and then help you use that purpose. There's a real hunger for that right now. That's why we have the great resignation going on is people want purpose. People want meaningful work. People want to do something that matters. But at the same time that I recognize that I have been able to live into my purpose and that I long to help you and equip you for that same sort of thing. I also recognize there's great inequality here as well. And not everyone has access to such things or the privileges that will help them get to where they need to be. And that's why I want to lift up a labor day, which is tomorrow. Right which was envisioned as, quote, a general holiday for the working classes. A day off so they could catch their breath. And it was also meant to call to mind to us the value of purposeful and meaningful work. Safe work. Healthy work. Work where everyone could thrive. And I don't know if you knew this. I learned that alongside Labor Day was supposed to be Labor Sunday, which would be today. And it was when the church was supposed to stop and say, what are we doing to make sure that the world has meaningful work? What are we doing to make sure that people can work safely? What are we doing to make sure that people have purpose? What are we doing to make sure that every beloved child of God can live fully into who they are? That's our role in this work. So, my friends, I challenge us all to work so that all may know and live into their purpose. 
Because when we do, oh, that yoke is easy and that burden is light. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.